you for tuning into the Short Steps. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. And I'm Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. This is a show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching. But first, library news. So we've got quite a few events coming up. The last of the Do Black Lives Matter series with Reggie Jackson is going to be taking place on Tuesday, February 9th at 6 p.m. And that one is going to be covering uh, the devaluation of black lives in the criminal justice system. I've been able to attend the previous three sessions, and they've all been great so far. Nick actually has been able to attend a couple with me, too. Yep, they have been fantastic. We can talk more about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, and um, that day, also in the morning, we have Rhyme Time Tuesday online with Miss Heidi, and there will be a family fun night to go kit. So we have a table right outside of the youth services department right now where you can pick up kits, whether they're adult kits, teen kits, kids' kits. They're all in one area, so you don't have to go around looking for them. Um, and so keep an eye out for that there. And then on Wednesday the 10th, there will be an art cart to go as normal, as well as on Wednesday the 17th. And then on Thursday the 18th, there'll be a story time online with Miss Heidi at 9 a.m. And then at 11 a.m. we'll have the Adult AM Book Club, and they are, I believe, are reading Death Stock Store County by Patricia Skull. Then on Friday the 19th, we're going to have our next grown-up take-and-make kit. And that, it looks like, is going to be a small macrame project. So yeah, what have you, what have you thought about the, uh, the Reggie Jackson program so far? I, so I caught the last two. Mm-hmm. and uh, Yeah, the last one was on uh, the devaluation of black lives in medicine, and then the one previous to that was on the devaluation of black lives in law. Yes, and both, both programs were fantastic. Um, Reggie Jackson is incredibly knowledgeable, as one would expect. But... Uh, you know, some of the material uh, overlapped with things that I've seen, like watching documentaries like 13th and, and things like that. But some of the information, and also with the uh, Black Lives and Medicine, uh, it covered some of the same ground that the there was an episode of John Oliver last year that uh, covered um, medicine and Black Lives. Okay. Um, that okay. was a, a really good episode. But one, one of the things about taking in information from like John Oliver mm-hmm. is that when you take an information from somebody like John Oliver, there's comedy interspersed in there. Mm-hmm. And that it allows you to not get overwhelmed by the material, but at the same time, it takes some of the gravity away. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, you know, getting information from someone uh, as knowledgeable as Reggie Jackson, and that has a, a an emotional connection to the material mm-hmm. that's being discussed, um, is it... It's, it has much greater weight, mm-hmm. um, and so and I, I, hearing some of the same same facts over again, you know, and having it come from a different source, it just reinforces how how grave the situation is. Yeah, no, I agree because I think you know, I mean, I, I don't remember that episode particularly of John Oliver, but I do, you know, watch John Oliver and watch Trevor Noah and watch those comedy news shows, and like, yeah, I do think that sometimes that takes away from the gravity, and sometimes you know we need that because sometimes I feel like everything's just so heavy. But at the same time, you know, sometimes we need to understand how heavy things are in order for anything to change. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've enjoyed them a lot, too. I've learned a lot of things that I feel like we should be learning in our, that I feel like I should have learned at least in elementary and high school, but I did not. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know a lot of other participants in the comments have commented that as well. And I just hope that future generations get to learn some of this stuff at younger ages than, than you know, we have. Yeah, the, 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 the fact that so many of the things that are covered, um, which are well-documented in history, are just 
buried, you know, buried in this, the school system doesn't cover those things. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's a tragedy because it just results in a populace that glosses over all of the, the tragedy that was inflicted upon black folks and, and other peoples as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I know, I understand that the schools can only do so much because you have to cram so much material into a short amount of time. But, you know, I think that it's, worthwhile to have students learn things about racial justice and, and social justice earlier on in, in their academic careers. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, more people do that in the coming years. And I feel like we try to, we try to help with that at the library by doing things like, like I mentioned, we're doing the Read Well program, you know, trying to get people to read from voices other than their own, trying to get people to, to explore ideas other than what they might be exposed to and the, what the status quo is and what society teaches us. So, you know, because I think the more that we learn about other people's ideas and the more that we hear other people's stories, the more empathetic we are and the more, you know, we understand why people are, are asking for change, why we need change, uh, what kind of changes we need. So, um, so yeah, I, I, if you haven't attended any of the sessions, I recommend that you sign up for the last one. You just have to sign up on the uh, Shorewood Library calendar, which is at shorewoodlibrary.org. And you click on the link, and then you register for the Zoom meeting. And one of, one of the things that I also want to throw in is that one thing that does give me hope, um, because like the we, we we just we just glossed over uh, the uh, the concept of the devaluation of Black lives in medicine. Basically, that program a lot of it talked about how for Black folks uh, a lot of medical testing and things was was done on them in some cases unbeknownst to them in some cases uh you know as a financial incentive and it's it's a really sad and terrifying state of affairs um and it like it covered all the way up to things happening as as late as like 1995 mm -hmm. um and so this is a, a, a thing that has consistently happened um throughout u.s history in regards to black folks and medicine. But one of the things that brings me hope is the fact that, uh, you know, Shored Library is a small library. There was a hundred, at, at peak attendance, there was what, 175 people mm -hmm. at, yep. at, at the one. Um, and some of the people were, because Shored Public Library worldwide. Um, some, <laughs> yeah, some, some people are tuning in from outside of Wisconsin or outside of the village of Sherwood, yeah. but yeah, um, some people may even be tuning in from outside of the country. But I think you know, the more people that are exposed to these ideas, the the more chance you know we have to educate people and to potentially bring about some some positive changes for people who have faced a lot of discrimination and a lot of oppression over the years. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the takeaways from this. Uh, definitely check out the next Reggie Jackson thing, which is, again, uh, February 9th, February 9th um, at 6 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time. But also, if you don't have a chance to catch Reggie Jackson somewhere, um, participate in Read, Read Woke or, <clears throat> excuse me, even check uh, track down that uh, uh, John Oliver episode. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, and he mentioned a few documentaries that I'll mention um, after this next bit, but I just wanted to talk about the, the Wi-Fi hotspots yeah. um, that I mentioned at uh, on the podcast earlier. We actually have launched them. We launched them on February 1st, so if you are interested in checking out a Wi-Fi hotspot, you can do that at the library now. You just have to go to the front desk, 
and you get it for three weeks. It, you just need a Milwaukee County Library card in good standing and um, you can go ahead and check one of those out and have free internet at home for three weeks and then bring it back and somebody else gets a chance at it. So um, just wanted to share that. From the stacks. So last week we said that we were going to talk about Ready Player One this week. So unfortunately... Ready Player Two. I keep you do calling, that, I keep you calling do it, it Ready time. Player One. Yes, okay. We said we were going to be talking about Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein this week, but we are not going to be talking about Ready Player Two. Because we're only four hours, three and a half hours in. Into the audiobook, yes. Because yeah. um, we were listening to it, because like we said, we wanted to listen to it narrated by Will Wheaton. And... Um, so yeah, so this week instead we're going to be talking to you about some movies, and we are planning on listening to the rest of Ready Player Two this weekend, so uh, next next episode we should be able to talk about Ready Player Two and Star Trek Discovery, like we mentioned last time as well. Oh, did we say that? We did say that. Um, oh man, I've, you, got, I've got so many feelings. Said, yes, you said you were going to share all your hot takes, um, <laughs> but we're going to say those for the next episode. So instead, this week we are going to talk about two movies that we saw recently that were... Uh, music box film productions, and then we're going to talk about a PBS documentary that we watched. So if you're looking for, you know, as this cold spell hits this week, these frigid temperatures, and you want to do something cozy inside, movies are great cozy inside activities, you know, make yourself some hot cocoa or some tea or something and cuddle up on the couch with some blankets in the movie. So the first one I want to talk about is we watched Nomad, uh, which is a Werner Herzog film, and it's a documentary, it's uh, the Bruce Chatwin story. And so uh, Bruce Chatwin was a friend of Werner Herzog's, and uh, he was a man who uh, liked to study different cultures and traveled all over the world. And um, they met, I believe he said they met in South America? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I believe he said they met, I think, when Werner Herzog was filming a film in South America. And I think uh, Bruce Chatwin was on the search of this giant sloth. Um, that he thought was a dinosaur because some relative of his had sent uh, a piece of skin back to England or Wales yeah. um, and uh, and said that it was a dinosaur skin, but it turned out to be the, this piece of skin from this giant sloth down in the Chile. It was somewhere yeah. in South America. So I, I think we're, 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 we're getting to... First, we should set up Werner Herzog himself. Okay. Um, because if you've never seen a Werner Herzog movie... Um, Werner Herzog just has a very unique way of looking at the world. If you don't know Werner Herzog's name and you've never seen any of his movies, um, the only context that you might have is if you watched the first season of The Mandalorian. <laughs> he was one of the Imperial officers, and he was he's just this older gentleman with like a, a thick like Austrian accent. Yeah, so he's uh, he's German. Uh, he's from Bavaria, okay. um, and he uh, has been making films since the 1960s. And he started mostly making films in in Germany. And he worked a lot with Klaus Kinski, who is a, a European actor. And they were notorious for their relationship because um, they had this very volatile relationship where Herzog was the director, Kinski was the star of a bunch of his movies, and Kinski would just like fly off the handle all the time and like punch people and punch Werner Herzog and like just like there's these crazy stories like if you if you watch uh interviews with Werner Herzog he'll talk about it and and um yeah so I've never seen any of the films of Klaus Kinski and I want to because I I haven't ever, I think I've only seen one or two of his fiction films mm -hmm. I've, most of the films that I've seen of his are documentaries and I've really enjoyed all the documentaries because like Nick says he's very 
he's very observant and he he has a very unique take on the world and just looks at the world with this this wonder of like a child yeah um and uh so yeah, so other films of his that you might be familiar with are he did Grizzly Man, which was about a man who lived among grizzly bears and um, ended up ultimately getting killed by a grizzly bear. Um, but this man, you know, thought that he had become one with the grizzlies, and it was a documentary about him. Um, he also did Encounters at the End of the World, which is about Antarctica and people who work and live in Antarctica, um, which was very interesting. Uh, he did a documentary called Lo and Behold which was about technology and how it's kind of taken over our lives and, and what technological advances have been made in terms of like self-driving cars and robots in Japan that are being used to take care of elderly people and all sorts of different ways in which we are using technology nowadays and, and what that means for humanity. And, you know, he looks at a lot of, of the deep philosophical questions in, when he, in all of his films. Um, and so this film felt like a very personal film for him. So Bruce Chatwin was a, a travel writer. And um, like I said, he traveled all over the world. And he met Werner Herzog at some point, And they became friends because they both had a very similar way of looking at the world. Because from what it sounds like, Bruce Chatwin was equally imaginative, liked to share just as many stories and, and you know, looked at the world also with eyes of, of childish wonder the way that Herzog does. And so... It was, it was interesting watching it because, you know, we've watched so many of his other documentaries and in the other documentaries, you can tell that he doesn't have, like he has interest in it, but it's not something that emotionally affects him. Because one thing that I found a little irritating in this film is that sometimes it seemed like he was leading the yeah. people that he was interviewing and trying to get them to say certain things about Bruce that he might feel himself personally, but maybe they didn't feel, um, you know, and so that, and that way you could tell that it was a very very hard thing for him to do because this was his, his close friend. And Bruce Chatwin died from AIDS uh, several years ago. And so, you know, part of it was this this tribute that he wanted to do for his friend. And he talked about how he, his friend gave him this knapsack that he's taken with him all over the world on all of his travels and how, you know, it's this piece of Bruce that he carries with him. Um, so it was a very, very touching film. Um, but yeah, I, I found it a little frustrating when he was like, leading people in questions yeah. being like, he was like this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I, I think that was a flaw to the movie. But um, so Bruce Chatwin uh, was a perpetual traveler. And so that's why the movie is, is named Nomad. And so it talked about his, his travels and some of the, some of the things that he, that he did and the explorations that he did in like Australia and uh, South America and in Africa. And, yeah, and one thing that they both agreed on and part of why it's called Nomad is because they both agreed that traveling on foot is like the best way to see and get to know a place. Yeah. Um, and Bruce Chatwin traveled on foot through various places like Australia um, and Werner Herzog actually wrote a book about his travel um, in the 1970s, I believe it was. It's called A Walking on Ice, and it's available through the library system, and it's a pretty interesting book because it's written the way that he thinks. It's like a diary, basically, of his travel, and he walked from his home in Germany all the way to France, I believe, because he had another friend who was um, sick and dying. And so, yeah, it kind of chronicles him traveling through all this farm country and meeting locals and talking to people and then, you know, kind of what he felt like as he was walking out after days and days of 
walking through farms and not seeing anybody and and um but he feel you know he he says that like he feels like the best way to travel is to travel on foot because you get to experience more by traveling on foot yep so yeah so it was it was it was an an interesting movie i the, the while uh while lisa was talking i was trying to look up to see if it was real um, but, uh, cause I want, I was going to read this, uh, Yelp review of Trader Joe's, uh, that is supposedly, uh, attributed to, uh, Werner Herzog. But oh, it's I, real. He's read it. He, he, he's read it. Oh, I thought, I thought I was, cause I, I thought it was, it was fake. Um, yeah, no, he, he wrote it and then he, there's also a recording of him reading it. Yes. Like a video of him reading his own Yelp review about Trader Joe's. Are you going to read it? <laughs> yeah. So to to get get and a, you have to think about it in the Bavarian Bavarian voice, yes. like, in, like an accent like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But to get to to give it context, give Werner Herzog context. This is his review of going to Trader Joe's. Madness reigns. The first challenge your soul must endure is the parking lot. You wait with your vehicle, half blocking traffic, creating a perfect circular vortex of anger that encompasses the street and the entrance to the store. Once you attain access to the lot, you discover that this is a false achievement. Other motorists stop and start with no thought or plan. Turns once begun are quickly abandoned. The drivers seemingly immune to geometry. This is just, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it gives you a sense of how he, how he frames things when he is, when he's narrating. Mm. Um, he just, even something as mundane as trying to park at Trader Joe's just has a certain <laughs> level of drama. Yes. Um, that is just very entertaining. Indeed. So. So yeah. So, so that is a Nomad, a Bruce Chatwin story, and it is available through the library. And um, that was one of the music box uh, film productions that we saw. And then the next music box film production that we saw was called Beats. Um, and we actually saw the trailer for it when we watched Nomad. We saw a few trailers that, for movies that we wanted to um, watch when we watched Nomad. And Beats was one of them. And it was about these kids in, was it Scotland? It's somewhere in the UK. Yeah. And it takes place during the 1990s. And apparently the UK banned music with repetitive beats during the time. And so basically any electronica or, or house music was illegal. So, so, so essentially what they were trying... what what the um, government in, in that part of the UK or possibly in all the UK was trying to do was trying to stop the, the existence of raves mm-hmm. uh, because raves, you know, you, um, if you're not familiar with rave culture, essentially they would go to a, uh, an abandoned warehouse uh, advertise and have a bunch of people show up and they'd have set up a sound system and people would just do a lot of drugs and dance. Um, and so, in order, which is what the hippies did at Woodstock. So I don't, I don't know what the problem is, but anyway. Yeah. So, but in order to crack down on on uh, this occurrence, um, maybe it was because it wasn't in an open field and it was in a warehouse. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in order to crack crack down on this, they created a law specifically having to do with with music with repetitive beats. And so the movie takes the the concept of of this law. And it's not a documentary. It's about kind of like a, a, a coming of age story of, of sorts because it's about two teens mm-hmm. um, that are in love with rave music, with, uh, with, with techno, and they're, they're just discovering it. And one of them is, is in a, 
in a in a family that is trying to like come up out of poverty and that looks down upon the other people that live in the neighborhood that they are currently in. Yeah, it's like his mom, you can tell the, that kid's mom um, was a single mom and she's now dating a new man and the man wants to move them out of the neighborhood and it turns out we find out that the man is a police officer and then the kid's best friend is uh, lives with his older brother. We don't see any parents in the picture and his older brother is like a local crime guy like a, a, lo- a local a local drug dealer yeah he, um, like, he's a drug dealer but he also like beats people up and like nobody wants to mess with him and he's known as being a bad influence and so the the you know cop dad stepdad like doesn't want the kid hanging out with his best friend but they've been hanging out since they were little kids you know and so you can you, or you get the vibe that they've been hanging out since yeah. they were little kids and that they've always been there for each other and so it's kind of you know about um those transitions that we have in our like teen years of trying to do, you know, the things that we want to do, but at the same time trying to make our parents happy. Um, and so, you know, there's a little bit of, of teenage rebellion that happens in the film um, because him and his friend want to go to a rave and his stepdad like catches them. They're all at like, all these cars are parked in this area and they're all listening to electronica and the cops show up and break up this gathering of people because they're like, you know, you're not supposed to be here. You can't be listening to this kind of music. And this uh, underground uh, radio station is planning a, a big rave. And so they're like giving out these secret codes of how you're going to get here. Yeah, they're, 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 they keep saying it's funny because the, the one kid walks around with a radio like 24-7 for a section of the movie. And it's because he's waiting for information about when the next rave is going to come. Yeah, because they but, keep dropping clues, but they don't drop all the clues at once. Well, it's, it's because they don't want to announce the actual location. Yeah, until, so the police officers don't show up and bring it up. Yeah, so they and they were they were trying to like you eventually get to know the uh the the dj and what have you uh, the organizer and so um they uh you understand later that oh it's because they've got nothing set in stone until like the last minute and then they're like we're showing up at this time with the sound system and 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 things are going to go um but yeah it it was so even though i know i talk about punk and metal a lot um in the 90s I definitely, even though I didn't go to raves or get involved in rave culture, I did really like techno music. Mm. Um, things like, you know, Prodigy, Crystal Method, Chemical Brothers, things like that. And um, the movie won the DIY ethos that goes along with uh, with uh, rave culture is something that I, I really enjoy. And then um, most of the soundtrack is from the first Prodigy record, and it's great. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I found it re- relatable in, in that way because, you know, we both, you and I both came up in the, the DIY punk scene and, and, you know, setting up shows in people's basements or generator shows under a bridge or a park is not uncommon. And, and it's a lot of like, you find out where it's happening based on your friends and word of mouth and, and it's not something that's posted up publicly because, you know, oftentimes police will shut those yeah. things down and so yeah and and one of the things that also was really relatable is that when i was a teenager um there were two different instances of shows that i attended where it got broken up by the police and the police came in and started swinging billy clubs at, at teenagers mm-hmm. um and that's something that that also takes place in in the movie um so yeah it it was 
it was a, a very relatable movie, um, even though it takes place in England and is uh, um, about a, a scene that I was not directly involved in, but at the same time, it had a lot of relatable themes. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, and I, I really enjoy coming-of-age stories, so I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. Yeah. Um, and then the last movie that we're going to talk to you about is another documentary. Um, so like, we, like Nick said, the Beats is not a documentary, it's just a, a feature film. Nomad was a documentary, and this one is a documentary. It's not a music box film. It was a PBS production called And She Could Be Next, and it's a two-part series, um, and it was done in, I believe, 2018 was the year it came out? Um, because it was done around the time that Stacey Abrams was running for governor of yeah. Georgia, and it covers, like, so it covers... Yeah, and, and Rashida Tlaib yeah. being elected the first time. Yeah. And so it covers several women... Um, from all over the country and their process of trying to get elected and kind of what they've had to go through in order to get on the ballot and, um, you know, get their, their name out there and everything. And so, yeah, it covers some, some well-known women like Stacey Abrams and Rashida Tlaib, um, but also some lesser known people. Like there was a young woman in the suburbs of Chicago who was running for something with a county, like some county position. And she was a 19 year old young woman that was going to DePaul University who decided she wanted to get involved in public service. Yep. Um, and so it kind of follows them around along and, and kind of follows what what they're trying to accomplish with their public service, why they wanted to went into public service, um, you know, their their trajectory through public service, because like, you know, um, some of the Congress people like like one of the Congress people that they follow is a woman whose son was uh, murdered in um when he was listening to music in for listening to music in his car in a gas station and she ran for government in Georgia um because she wanted more stricter laws for for gun um yeah, she, she yeah she was try, trying to uh restrict uh gun use to a certain extent yeah and so she you know banded together with a lot of parents who've been um active with the school shooting like movement and all that stuff and so you know, it follows her and her campaign. It follows um, some people in Texas, a woman in California. Yeah, and several of these people have been elected to office. So it was cool seeing the, the process of them going from canvassing and, um, you know, doing their campaigns to actually being elected and knowing, especially like watching it now, knowing that, you know, some of these women have been in office for several years now, knowing what they've accomplished and um, and what they continue to do for their communities. It was really cool and empowering. Also, one thing that was talked about a lot in the film was um, the disenfranchisement of people of color throughout the country. And so um, there, it really addressed, if, if anybody doesn't know that much about the state of Georgia, it really addressed everything that has gone on in Georgia in like the last four years with um, Kemp and Abrams and how um, you know they've thrown out literally thousands of, of registered voters for a variety of reasons and how they've changed laws in Georgia in order to make it very difficult for people to vote and how, you know, they've closed polling places and, um, and how, you know, polling places in some areas of the state, um, the poll, the machines don't work and everything goes wrong. Whereas in, you know, other areas of the state, everything's great. And it usually tends to be that in the areas where it's like predominantly people of color, you know, that those areas um, the machines all don't work. And... Yeah, as, as, essentially, they they showed a, a uh, to give you a, a sense of context. They were showing people that were in the in the cities 
um, like Atlanta mm -hmm. and those folks, there's, you know, uh, all sorts of problems with the, uh, with the voting machines. There's all sorts of problems like lines around the block. And yeah, I mean, there were, there were people who had been standing in line for seven hours, you know, it's kind of like when we had our, our election here in Milwaukee, where like, you know, we had people standing in line for hours because they shut down so many of the polling places. Yeah, and then, but to, to show the contrast, they then go to the predominantly white suburbs and they, um, you know, ask people coming out of the uh, out of the polling place and they're like, yeah, uh, the whole process took me like two minutes. And uh, yeah, no problems, no problems at all. Yeah. And, 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 and it's almost like a, a, they almost come off as incredulous. Um, that, that people would think there was problems, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so it was interesting because it actually followed um, some of the people who have been involved in activism in the state of Georgia who are trying to um, start a movement throughout the country of getting more people registered to vote. Yeah. Um, and so uh, some of these groups are you know, part of what uh, people credit Ossoff and Warnock winning in Georgia because you know there's been so much, so much. Even though they they keep throwing out these like thousands of, of votes, you know every it's like the the activists have been pushing so hard and it actually follows like these groups of women who are coming from all over the country to the state of Georgia to help people register to vote. Yeah. And so all these people are banding together in order to help this this happen. And so Georgia is one of the states where I believe they said within the next like three years it's going to be. The, the people of color in Georgia are going to outnumber the white people in Georgia. Mm. And so, but, you know, representation has not reflected that for a long time. And so um, they have been trying to get more people of color registered. Um, and so it's, you know, black groups working with Latino groups, working with Asian group, American groups, yeah. and, you know, all these different groups working together and reaching out to their communities and getting people, you know, to who speak the various languages and um, can go out into the communities who are trustworthy to get people to register to vote. And yeah. then you, you've got a lot of, like, it showed a lot of the volunteers who are driving people to the polling places so that they can vote because, they, you know, the polling places are so far away. Or, yeah. Um, and and you, part of the reason why they highlight, um, they, they were highlighting the push and pull um, that happens because you have some politicians that want to purge the voter rolls and they want to do all of these things in order to cut down the number of voters. And then there are these grassroots groups that are like, no, we need to get the disenfranchised people to out, out to vote. Mm -hmm. And it, it's this, this, Clash. this yeah. massive push and pull. And, you know, they show, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people like going out canvassing and working class folks being like, yeah, I, I, I didn't plan on voting because, you know what have have any of these politicians ever done for me? Mm. And so there's there's a a compounding aspect of you know becoming disenfranchised and then just electing to stay that way. Mm. Um, it also covered you know like because it's called and she could be next and so it also covered a lot of, like women's issues within voting as well. It was it was very interesting because it covered a lot of different different things involved in in politics and in um, the the elections from the last few years. Yeah, so. and it's it's a it's a longer documentary. It, it was two DVDs, yeah, two DVDs, two parts, um, and it's like I think an hour and a half each. So so we all told like a three hour um, documentary, but it was it was totally worth the watch. Um, I highly recommend it. I, I learned a lot because I I knew some of what was going on in Georgia, but I didn't know the extent of it, and I didn't know about the activist groups and stuff that were involved down there and what what they've been doing as a state. Yeah. Um, to or like no, not a state, but what the people, the activists in the state have been doing to further their their cause. Yeah, and it's one of one of the the things that's that's really important is is it 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 highlights how important 
activism is, because if it wasn't for these grassroots eff- efforts, the de- disenfranchised would continue to be disenfranchised and the voter rolls would be purged and those the people that they managed to bring out to vote and to get re-signed up and all of these things, none of that would have been possible. Mm-hmm. And um, Georgia would have, like, the, the result that, even though this documentary takes place, you know, two years ago, um, what just took place in Georgia would have never been possible um, if things stayed the way they were and the activist groups did not get involved. Yeah, and, you know, we talk a lot about Georgia, but like, like I said, it covers various states, so California, Michigan, Illinois, um, Texas, but yeah, so it covers several different states and it covers a lot of different information, um, and it also really drives home the point that, you know, represent, representation is very important and that, you know, we can't have people representing our country who don't necessarily look like our, the people who make up our country because in order to understand what the people need, you need people who are like them involved in, in the political process. Yeah, and the, the, other, the other very important thing is a lot of times political organizers make the mistake of going out and seeking out the existing voter base instead of going into communities of people that don't normally vote. And that was one of the things that was a big change in Georgia, Mm -hmm. was going into communities of people that don't normally vote and trying to convince them to vote. There's a... uh, Yeah, like I remember there was a section on it in the documentary where they talked about the Asian uh, Americans and how because the the Asian American population is so diverse in terms of the language that they speak and, and, you know, their customs and everything that a lot of politicians don't bother to reach out to them. And so they had these groups of volunteers getting together and they were distributing information like Vietnamese and Chinese mm. and, you know, all these different, you know, Korean, all these different Asian languages. And they were going around from house to house talking to people and explaining, you know, people's positions on issues. And um, that is not something that is normally done because they mentioned, you know, that a lot of people, a lot of politicians think that they, even though they have these multi-million dollar campaigns, they feel that the Asian population is so small that they that spending their money on materials to reach out to them is, is yeah, not it's, worth it's, their it's, time. It's a combination of the, the community being small, but also the amount of additional work, mm-hmm. the investment of resources in order to reach out to that community. And it's it's a backwards way of thinking. It's, it is a backwards way of thinking because, you know, it's like just because a community is small doesn't mean that they should not be represented. Um, you know, I think that, that, you know, our government is founded on the idea that we should all have supposedly you know we should also have equal representation um but i you know i think that we are moving in that direction and um hopefully you know with these movements we continue moving in that direction yep so as promised the documentary that reggie jackson has talked about in several of the series so far is uh, in several of the sessions is race the power of an illusion and that one is actually available through the shoreward library um you can request it it's there's a few different copies in the system um, and he's also mentioned a few other documentaries, but that's the, the main one that he talks about a lot. Um, so if you're interested in, and you're not able to attend the sessions, uh, you should give that one a watch. And so, uh,
I remember that uh, uh, Reggie Jackson also um, covered a bunch of stuff from a book having to do with the uh, devaluation of black black lives in medicine. What was that? Uh, yeah, the book was called Medical Apartheid, and it was by Harriet Washington. The subtitle of that book is The Dark History of Medical Experimentation of Black Americans from Colonial Times to the Present. And yeah, in the last session, he shared several clips from interviews with her about the things that she covered in her book. And he also um, mentioned a few other books as well. So I believe we have some of the resources up on our website. Um, but I will take a look this week, and on the next podcast, I can share some of those resources because I do not have them in front of me right now. Yep. But um, yeah, it's, it's well worth a, a, a watch if you can tune in for this next one. So. All right, so yeah, next week we will be doing Ready Player Two. You you couldn't see, but I held up two fingers to, to help. By Klein <laughs> and Star Trek Discovery, uh, the first. Did you watch the first two seasons? The first, the two, first seasons. two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. And how it made me want to flip over a car because I was oh, so that's mad. That's enough of that. <laughs> All right, as always, you can find us on Spotify, Podbean, or iTunes. If you have any questions or comments for your host, please email us at SherwoodStacks at gmail.com, or you can comment on Podbean as well if you have the Podbean app. Uh, We hope you have enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening, and be well. The Shorewood Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron for the Shorewood Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod, and the song is called Ice Flow and can be found on incompetech.com.